Welcome to Sam Sammy Show. We have a lot of questions, so we bring guests to see if we can get some answers. My name is Sam Sammy, and I shall ask. So join us on the Sam Sammy Show. EMP attack would be the most nastiest kind of attack. Can we have like any safe heaven or safe bunkers? A different gas could be some little gas we deliver to the patient instead. So exactly. there's gonna be like one hacker somewhere in one basement that can hack into it. Security is just an illusion. There is always a trade-off in between convenience and security. We've made ourselves uh, overexposed. Could have uh, quite deadly consequences. Today we're gonna talk about a very interesting topic, World War III. Could it be a cyber warfare? So I've got Robert Jodat with me. Robert Jodat is a cyber security expert and a cloud engineer. How you doing, Robert? Hello, Sam. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, my pleasure. All right, so let's get into it, shall we? Let's do this. All right. A lot of experts claim that World War III is going to be a cyber warfare. I mean, uh, could the impact of a cyber warfare be so huge that we could call it a world war? Well, Sam, I would put it this way. If you think about it, a cyber warfare, in, in easy words, it could be... Um, think about, for example, a city infrastructure, a country infrastructure. For example, let's talk about a health system, the healthcare, the hospital. Mm -hmm. An impact of a cyber warfare to the city's infrastructure, an example that I can just think about off top of my head could be the, um, as a result of a cyber attack to a hospital system, a possible scenario is that the hospital systems and the records, they could be hit with a ransomware. Mm. What that actually means is that, um, let's say, the patient's files, their previous records, they, those files can be, in technical terms, they can be encrypted on the system, which it will make them unreadable for the health uh, staff and the doctors to access them to better diagnose a patient. Mm -hmm. yeah. To a certain extent, what uh, the other possibility of a cyber attack to a hospital could be, um, let's say, to their oxygen delivery system. Mm -hmm. in the theaters or just in a anywhere pretty much over the hospital so those uh, to my knowledge the way that those uh, oxygen sensors work in hospital is that um, they're usually all computer managed they're not manually releasing so, the gases so what you're saying is like they're not they're connected to the network pretty much yes so you can like for example like uh control them remotely pretty much yeah as an example let's okay. say bed number 12 in level 15 the doctor uh, sets the um level the of the oxygen and exactly like yeah, yeah. for that. example yeah, yeah the mask that is on the patient's face to set the oxygen to about let's say 50 percent 100 percent of oxygen to be delivered in the event of a cyber attack what could happen is that 
Um, those sensors can be uh, the data that they send and receive. They can be manipulated, or mm. they can be changed. For example, a different gas could be some lethal gas, be delivered to the patient instead, or mm. the amount of the gas delivery could be wow. changed, which could have uh, quite deadly consequences. Well, I'd never thought about it before. Being honest. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, uh, like that would actually create a chaos. Oh, definitely. That would potentially kind of cause a lot of harm. Like literally, like has this ever happened before? Like, do you happen to know? Um, not to my knowledge exactly with the oxygen sensors to the gas delivery to the to the patients, but there's been many cases of ransomware attacks to many different infrastructures. The latest mm -hmm. one that I can think about was to a logistic company that the entire data they got uh, ransomware. And pretty much when that happens, all of their systems, all of their files, they become inaccessible. Mm, yeah, they get like encrypted and then they ask you to send them Bitcoin or Ethereum. Exactly. And then exactly. release your data. Exactly, wow. that's how the hackers are claiming to unlock the locked files to decrypt the encrypted files but yeah as history shown uh pretty much whenever that happens they never they pretty much never stand to their promises mm. they just get the bitcoin and they just run away so it's really important to have a disaster recovery plans in place mm. no matter which industry you're in what you said about oxygen that it's i'm still thinking about it. like it's actually huge uh it could be like one of those vulnerabilities that not everyone thinks about and uh you know i mean like you should be prepared okay and there are some stuff there are some events that you don't even think about like there's they seem to be like too small and uh, unlikely to happen so i'm just wondering if hospitals think about this and if they have like any sort of uh, f firewall or i don't know like anything in place to prevent such attacks to happen like do they actually do that or they're just doing whatever they're doing i see that's an excellent question sam well in my field of um, profession in cybersecurity and it uh, there's always levels of security um, and disaster recovery that are in place. But the important thing to note is is that there are always a lot of flaws in the system. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone within the company, within the IT department, um, they may just, uh, let's say, they forget to patch a system, which that system becomes vulnerable. A zero-day vulnerability is found in that system and they don't patch it on time. So there is a vulnerability out there to be exploited. So... Mm -hmm. Theoretically speaking, logically speaking, there really always a flaw that can mm. be found as a vulnerability mm -hmm. and exploited. Yeah, nothing is like secure one hundred percent. So there's gonna be like one hacker somewhere in one basement that can hack into it. Exactly. So <laughs> that's I'll always uh, tell everyone: security is just an illusion. It, true. You true. should always think it about. Really is, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not all about security. It's mm. about defense. Mm. Yeah. Good point. All right, so I have another question. Do you think someone could hack into the nuclear system of a country, take control of the nuclear bombs or warheads or whatever they call it, 
and then launch the nuclear bombs. You know, like you, something that you sometimes see in the movies. You know, is that even possible? Like, is that what is like? Is that what we can call World War Three? Because now, like for example, Russia, they have. Uh, I think they have like seven thousand warheads. Like America, United States has uh, about three hundred fifty to four hundred warheads. And like, if someone hacks into these systems and just launch the nuclear, like that would be chaos. That like literally the Earth is gonna be finished. <laughs> like we're done. <laughs> no, I see. I, I get your points. Well, I would say it's gonna be a really scary world to live in if just the possibility of that. Thinking about just the possibility of that um, being actually like exploitable, like being possible. Well. Overall, um, see, the thing is, uh, nuclear systems, well, my, my knowledge isn't, um, I'm not really up to date with how they exactly work, but uh, I would think that launching a nuclear, well, to my knowledge, would be, um, there can't be just one keystroke to launch a nuke. Mm. At least from the movies that I've seen, there's usually multiple person that they need to turn the key <laughs> yeah. all at the same yeah, time. Literally, they That's get right. like the suitcases and they chase after the guy to get the suitcase and steal it and then get the key. Exactly. And so, then the key is for another suitcase. <laughs> so it goes on and goes on. So I really hope that it's actually like that. But um, I would say... If not, I mean, it's, it's still in the back end, there are still a lot of connected networks. Mm -hmm. And as long as there are networks, programmable computers within a network, there will be always uh, a vulnerability. There will be always um, pretty much a possibility of mischief in that network. I mean, they must have thought about it, right? Um, they must so. have thought about it. So the, what you're saying is like, there is, there should be a physical element or checkpoint if you could call it just to go through or a step and then like turn a key or open a lid or something to just do it like actually physically with your hand to launch the nuclear bombs so i mean that that, that would make sense like it's common sense i mean that's how yeah. i would assume the system to be but my mm. point is Within an uh, interconnected group of nodes, group of computers on a network, regardless if that network is being separated from the actual internet, there, as long as there are programmable computers, there will always be a way to get in either from an insider uh -huh. or from other means because those computers are programmable, programmable and those programs can be modified. Now, of course, there are going to be of many ways of just um, ensuring the machines are running the code and the actual program that's been, uh, they've been designed to run. But mm. theoretically speaking, so what it's could always go wrong? possible. So what could go wrong? I mean, like, in terms of like nuclear centers or, or nuclear bombs like if we see uh if we see the world war three uh being played out as a version of like cyber warfare you know like 
you know what I mean? Like, see, what are the possibilities? What are the threats? A great, what are the um, a great example that I can think about is um, Stuxnet. Stuxnet, uh, Stuxnet was a, a virus, a worm, mm-hmm. that it took down Iran's nuclear fusions. A very sophisticated um, malware worm that was spread out through the through the network. The way that that happened was, um, uh, as far as I recall, the last time I read about it was a USB a USB drive a USB stick was um, dropped near the facility. One of the facility workers find this USB, just being curious what's on it. <laughs> they just plug it into a network wow, within really? the facility. Oh my god! I may be wrong. I have to look this up again to be sure. But to my last knowledge. Um, must that was the fired. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so oh what God. happened from there? Once free they... USB. I found the free USB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's in it? Oh yeah. Um, they plug in the USB to the machine, and um, this sophisticated worm, the malware, just installed itself on the machine, and I assume that that malware didn't need any command and um, command and control center. So it was written perfectly, very sophisticated, that it knew, it knew what to do and how to spread itself. Um, so pretty much that malware spread throughout the Iran's nuclear facility, well, one of them, I believe it was, and it stayed there for many, many months until it spread throughout all the systems altogether. And as per the pre-set commands that it's been given, it manipulated the sensors that was running the reactors i believe oh wow yeah so what it does it broke many internal systems that pretty much i believe it um cost the ones i believe around 10 years to regain what they've gained during that time so it took them really really back now another example that i can think about sam is i'm sure many of our listeners heard about Chernobyl, mm-hmm. the nuclear reactor meltdown in Chernobyl back mm-hmm. in 1940s or 60s, I believe. I'm not sure what year it was exactly. Um, now, to my best of knowledge, what happened over there was that I believe there was a malfunction or misreading of either between the metric and imperial, let's say Fahrenheit and Celsius, mm-hmm. um, where it's uh, pretty much the reactors or the cooling system just overheated and I believe that was the reason that caused the meltdown. Now I may be wrong about that. But my point is that something very simple. A change in a system that will change, let's say, miles to kilometers, kilograms to pounds, Celsius to Fahrenheit. Wow. It could be just a bit or just a few bit to flip in the code. That can cause a chaos. That's crazy. So it, like just, I mean, everything has been set like perfectly in a nuclear center to just uh, keep everything going and uh, safe, and if you could call it. And then, right. so if one thing changes, so it all go wrong. Exactly. Go wrong. So it really turns out to, to turns back to mainly the physical physical security. 
Man, I, I can't sleep tonight. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm serious. This is uh, crazy stuff we're talking about here. If you're going to be out, yeah, then I suggest you go and watch the Chernobyl series from HBO. I believe it's only okay. about five or six series. It goes through all the details of what happened and what was the aftermath of all the radiation. Yeah, we'll do if I get a chance. Yeah, yeah. But Definitely. overall, uh, it, it really turns out to the integrity of the system. If the mm. code, if the source code is manipulated, if there's any changes, the kernel, the, the, it, it would um, pretty much just detect that system, to detect that change on the system and prevents the system to be booted up. Mm. One thing that I like about the Samsung phones, I'm pretty sure iPhones does that as well, but Samsung knocks, what it does is it got an actual physical fuse mm-hmm. on the Samsung phones, motherboards, the Galaxy phones that if the the OS, the, if the Android version of anything within the Android is modified, if that code is modified, it will flip that switch and it will pretty much kill the phone. And okay. with that integrity check, so like all Android phones, like have that option. Not all of them, as far as I know, but at least I know that the newer Galaxy phones they have a feature called Knox. Okay. That it does have that. Yeah, I've feature. seen Knox somewhere. I think yeah. I've seen it like. On my phone yeah, yeah. the other thing that i wanted to mention is every single digital file let's say an image or just a text file with every single digital file has a fingerprint mm-hmm. and called with that fingerprint is called the hash of the file now if a change is made in a system in the code any simplest change will change that hash completely so mm. that's how that integrity check when the system boots up is checked. That's pretty much what the Samsung Knox does to prevent the system. The so what you're thinking, like what you're trying to say is like, uh, there must be something similar in nuclear centers, right? I assume there must be, yeah. That there has to be something that at least takes care of the... Like a kill switch, like it's something that like says like stop it you know what i mean yeah, like the so- things are not the way they they're supposed to be so just i don't know you know what i mean just exactly, stop just exactly. stop <laughs> yeah exactly like if, if there is any uh, violation of a file change or any changes to the system that has been changed regardless if it's been authorized or, of, or not uh, i assume there must be a system that will detect that change and just alert the authorities to just investigate what's going on mm. so i really hope that is the case <laughs> not just one level of levels that just ensures the integrity of the system mm. very very interesting all right next question next question i shall ask about emps so we've heard that uh emp could be one of the threats and one of the weapons to be used in world war three and they say they they say there there are some emps that they're so huge uh, if they launch those emps all the electronics in the world gonna get destroyed so we're gonna like go back to hundreds of years ago without any sort of electronics because you know like if you don't have a computer if you don't have a computer you you cannot make another computer so is that a possibility like what do you think 
do you think like uh, do they exist do such EMPs exist Oh, Sam, when you first said the word EMP, that reminds me of Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember last time when I played, uh, I think it was Motor Warfare, Warfare 3 or something that I played. Yeah, we have these uh, grenades in the game that we, we just throw them around and we had a little map on the corner of the screen that when an EMP grenade is... Um, it would just... Trying, yeah. it, it would just blank out yeah. the, <laughs> the map that we had. So yeah, um, excellent question, by the way. EMP is a EMP stands for electromagnetic pulse. All right. What it does is, um, I would I would start by saying there are two kinds of EMPs. One is a man-made EMP. The other is caused by solar uh, sands, uh, solar storms that are coming from our sun. Uh-huh. The, the man-made EMPs, um, pretty much in simple words, the way that they work is um, there are a very silent bombs, I will put it in this word, that they are de- detonated in very high altitudes. What they do is they create a circular massive electromagnetic pulse that when this uh, magnetic pulse is sent, any device, any electronic device that has an electronic board, a motherboard, those super extremely powerful magnetic pulse will fry those boards. So pretty much in an event of an EMP launch, your phone, your electronic watch, if you have a pacemaker, they will all get fried. So does such a thing exist? It does exist it for does sure. Exist. For sure. Now, pretty much how far is gonna go? Like you, like you. I, I get are we question. saying like? Um, <laughs> see, the reality is, I assume that those informations must be classified. Yeah. Thinking about if if a country has a has an EMP to launch, like how bad the consequences can be I assume that must be classified but I wouldn't know the exact mm. information on that but the main thing is every electronic device regardless if regardless of if it's connected to a power source a battery or not they will their motherboards will get fried the boards will not get fried even your car's remote mm-hmm. now it's terrible if you think about it. It will pretty much send, can send the world or a big portion of the earth back to the Stone Ages. Mm. Now, if you think about it, it can have a really bad consequences because the thing is, um, an EMP would be silent when it gets launched. Yeah. So we wouldn't know, would we? Oh, like, definitely. we wouldn't know, we would... It will, it will feel just sure. like a blackout. Yeah, like exactly. You get a blackout yeah. and... If during a blackout you just notice a friend that seems to just walk close by just drop dead. <laughs> if he had a pacemaker in his heart, then you should be more suspicious <laughs> if that was the EMP event. <laughs> oh or if your God. phone just died. <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. Now the solar... Um, so so the, that would be like a man-made uh, EMP we're talking about here. No. 
it would okay. also happen with the solar sands, the solar stones coming from our sun. Okay. Uh, last time I read something about it, I think it was many years ago, where I believe the last massive solar storms coming from our sun was back in either early 90s or 80s, which luckily then there really wasn't too many satellites around or any electronics around. Mm. But I assume if a such event occur in the 22nd, 23rd century, we will be causing, uh, we'll be facing a lot of chaos. Just think about we're it. not going to have any satellites left just in our space, right? So they're going to like fall down or just, you know, not to fall down. I mean, well, they're going to be like well, non-functional. <laughs> yes, I'm, um, theoretically speaking, those satellites will eventually fall down. Because even if you, I don't know if you heard about it or not, but even the International Space Station, the IIS, they use their propellers to just um, move the mm -hmm. station just a few centimeters, a few meters up every quarter or so. Because the Earth's gravity, as long as there is any object within the orbit, those objects will get attracted to Earth. The gravity of the Earth will mm. still pull them down by just a few centimeters, eventually after okay. some time. Okay. But yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. So the question is, is there anything we can do about EMPs? I mean, uh, we're talking about sun. We're not talking about North Korea or Iran or I don't know or another country that we can like. put like sanctions on them or something you know what i mean it's not about politics it's not about uh, weapons it's not about it's not about anything it's just like nature so can we do anything can we have like any safe heaven or safe bunkers to protect at least some of our computers in case of uh, such an event So. An EMP attack would be the most nastiest kind of attack, in my opinion, because it would happen very fast, very quick. Attack when we're talking... An EMP attack? An EMP okay. launch. Overall, at, at, an, an EMP attack would be a man-made EMP launch. Yeah. But uh, a solar flare, a solar storm um, would be just a natural... But still, it will be quite quick. Now, in regards to... just um but staying let's, safe let, let's say like we don't know which one is gonna happen okay like solar uh what was it solar flare solar flare yes, solar, solar flare solar flare or uh, just man-made emps so what can we do i mean regardless of the source of the emp can we do anything about emps um, can we protect yeah. some of our computers maybe well some... under the bed <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not all of the beds. That wouldn't help unless you have one of those. Um, I, I forget what they are exactly called. Those are like uh, little RFID bags that you usually put your phone and credit card in it when you go through the airport security. It's like the tin foil hats. Exactly. Foil hats. <laughs> some, something very similar to that. That will uh, pretty much reflect those electromagnetic waves, but it is still depends on how powerful those waves are. But to better answer your question, Sam, I would say 
we have a better chance as humanity to watch out for a natural EMP from our sun rather than an EMP attack. And what we are doing for that is there are a few satellites orbiting the sun in a high distance. I don't exactly recall the satellite names, but what mm -hmm. those satellites do, they pretty much monitor sun's activity mm -hmm. to watch for any um, solar storms in the surface of sun. Yeah. And I would assume that if a solar storm happens from the sun, um, now it usually takes around eight minutes for the light to reach Earth from sun. Now we know, as we know, photons are the fastest moving particles in our universe. Yep. And I assume that electromagnetic wave, which is the signal sent from the satellite that is monitoring the sun, will travel much slower than photons. Right, I've never been good at physics, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in simple words, even if there is an instant solar storm coming from the sun, mm -hmm. we won't have the time to know it. Okay. As it takes, as I assume it will take less time for that EMP pulse to reach Earth from Sun. Oh, but enough. from what I know, from what I heard, is those satellites, they're still monitoring the Sun activities closely and using the AIs and machine learning, they are trying yeah, to predict but, but what Hold on, let's say, let's say, okay, we predict it or we see it coming. Okay, what can we do about it? I mean, in 10 minutes, we, you're going to have like a, the huge EMP that is going to destroy all the computers, all the electronics, all the, uh, all the, Any all the like literally on the controllers, like uh, Tesla's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Well, let me, let me what put can it this you do? way. I mean, we have 10 minutes. Okay. And yeah, what can we do? I, I want to know. What would you do without electricity, Sam? Imagine there is no electricity. What would you do for a week? How would you survive? Light out the candle. <laughs> what would you eat? Canned food. Tuna. <laughs> Where is that canned food coming from? Where do you get it? How is it produced? Well, for a week, I'm going to have it. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. You tell me. Well, because I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> you definitely do. Well, I will put it this way. In an event of an EMP launch, we will most certainly go back to Dark Ages. There will be no communication through networks, through computers. So... First thing first, you can't go on your local grocery stores online to order some food. So you better have some canned food for a while to survive. Some water to survive on. Are we talking about post-attack or post-EMP? 
Yes, no, this is a plan. This this is uh, well. If if you're talking about what can we do to what can we do to prevent it? To pre- not exactly to prevent it, but for example, like put our electronics in a safe place, or I don't know, send it to send it to like just attach it to James Webb. Okay, and James <laughs> Webb is gonna come back one day, you know. So we're gonna have our computers back. You know, just send it somewhere else. Just somewhere else. Just be as far as you can. You know. To best of my knowledge, there is nothing that we can do in that regards. I would put it this way: what we, uh, bunker? Well, bunker. What bun- about like if we have nuclear bunkers, right? Okay. Okay. What about EMP bunkers? Do we have EMP bunkers? Not to best of my knowledge, but team. Talking about an EMP bunker, you would you, te- technically speaking, EMP is all about electromagnetic wave. The bunker must be really deep in the ground with a really good, sh- um, I would say, not a tin full shell for sure, okay. that will reflect those EMP pulses. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I want to emphasize is. If you just keep yourself safe in that bunker, the city, the the state's infrastructure will be gone anyways. Either way, they will be destroyed in an event mm, of an so We're not going to have any internet. Exactly. Think about your like local mobile tower. Those towers will get fried instantly. So even if you take yourself to a bunker to keep your electronics safe, mm-hmm. when you come out, your phone ain't going to have no signal. Yeah. That is the most problematic when it comes to the EMPs. Oh, man. Now, what I would do personally in the event of an EMP, which I would recommend all of our listeners to take in consideration, pretty much this also goes back to any um, emergency situation. Call 911. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, good luck with that in the event of an EMP. <laughs> um, the, the main three triads of uh, survival, shelter, food, water, pretty much. Make sure you have some food that won't go bad for a while. Usually canned food kind of stay up to five to ten years sometimes. Some bottled water at least. And... Think about your way of communication, because in an event of an EMP, you definitely won't be able to make a phone call or send a WhatsApp message or... So we're going to go back to sending letters, love letters. (laughs) 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 Or sending smoke to communicate with another village across the valley. (laughs) (laughs) That would be crazy. Oh my God. I don't want to see it. Such a day coming, like oh, oh, I'm yeah, sure no one wants. Nah. I mean, we have to, like Telegrams, WhatsApps, like all sort of messaging apps, like available. Oh, not just phone, that. Top of fingers, well, you when know you what think I mean? about it, it's so much bigger than that. Think about your car. I don't want to think about my car. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a terrible event, which I hope we will. Well, I don't have a Tesla. My car is like old car. It's diesel. Is it automatic? It is automatic. That automatic transmission is uh, handled by a computer chip, which will be fried. So if you have an old 
Well, not necessarily old. A, a machine, a car that is more mechanical, it has less computers in it, and it has a manual transmission, you would have a better chance to be able to drive it. Or just get yourself hmm. a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hate bicycle. Seriously. <laughs> okay, very good stuff. Wow, wow. Next question. Next question. Uh, I have a lot of questions. Do you think we've made ourselves uh, overexposed and just too vulnerable? I mean, uh, we have come up like during the uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the internet. Uh, the first days of internet dot com the what dot was com it boom. dot com dot com boom right That's was right. it yeah, around no, I mean, for a moment. you know how does this ever happen to you like sometimes like, you forget the word or yeah. Oh, anyway. yeah anyway so during the dot com dot com <laughs> <laughs> dot com boom uh i even forgot what i was gonna say Literally. I will answer it anyways, because I, I, I got your question. What was my question? Um, <laughs> pretty much, if, if you have a, a oh, yeah, have you made ourselves to technology yeah. and internet overall. Well, Sam, um, this is a very um, hard question to answer, but I'm trying to make it as my, I'm trying to make my thoughts as simple as possible. For Please do, because my brain is not working properly <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Somebody gotta catch up on the sleep. <laughs> well, thinking about, uh, let's, let's just talk about pros and cons of the internet. What do you personally think was the best thing that internet brought to people's day-to-day -day lives? Not definitely Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I would say like internet banking. Ah, oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. I remember when I was a kid, every month that my dad used to get his paycheck, mm -hmm. uh, he was also taking me to the local bank and we were in a queue for a long time to see the teller. Now, these right. days, everything is just online banking. That is, that's definitely one of the, yeah. the pros. I remember those days too, yeah. It was crazy, like you would have to go to bank and get a line like for hours. Yeah, and sometimes get the paper money. around. Yeah, now you just unlock your phone, you know, you just, okay, where do I need to send it to? And then you just send it, like, it's a matter of like seconds. Exactly. Now, it comes hmm. of, like, that, that also brings a lot of potential issues as well. Now... Convenience has cost always, right? That is correct. And I cannot agree more. Now, other thing I want to mention is there is always a trade-off in between convenience and security. Mm -hmm. Talking about mobile banking, what do you do when you need to access your mobile banking? You type in your customer code, customer PIN, your password, and then you're prompted for other security you're talking measures, about the, uh, the multi-factor like, authentication a uh, lot of people yeah for the first time yeah but like when you use it like 
now if I use my internet banking, if it's just that, fingerprint. That's exactly. all. Exactly. That that is on your mobile phone because when you sign in to the to the your mobile uh, the app. bank app, yeah. It sets a digital certificate on your phone, which is quite sophisticated and secure, so that your phone is trusted. But overall, there is a convenient, uh, there is a trade-off between convenience and security. For example, mobile banking to make it secure on the internet, because internet is open to anyone. Mm. Just a simple client pin and a password won't be enough that can potentially be a brute force attack. Your password yeah. can be leaked, or especially many people these days, they just use one password for many accounts, which is a very worst, nasty practice. Yeah, if one is. password is leaked out, then pretty much a malicious actor can try to think, um, oh, maybe this person, let's call him Alice or Bob, could they have, let's say, with Bank of America or any other bank? So let's just mm. try to see if they also use that email address and a password there just to try to get into their account. Mm -hmm. So my point is more security measures are always added, like multi-factor authentication. When you type in your password, then you're being prompted with another, let's say, a six-digit PIN that mm -hmm. is being changed every 30 seconds just as an additional layer of security. Yeah, not everyone uses that though. Like because exactly. yeah, that everyone's is... like, oh, I can't be bothered to go and like get the pin, get the code OTP. What do they call it? They call it one-time one password. password yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then put it in the application you want to use. Everyone's yeah. like, hey, it's so annoying. I want to disable it. You're like, you like I've and heard those that a lot. are the people who get their account breached, their account hacked. Yeah, See, true. that's that's where I'm coming, I'm trying to make. By the way, talking about brute force attack, just yesterday I checked my website and uh, Jetpack apparently has blocked like about 7,500 brute force attacks. Oh, are we sponsored by them now? No, talking no, about Jetpack? <laughs> no, I'm not, but like seriously, I, I don't like it, but yeah, yeah, that's what I even, saw. Exactly, even in my industry, the number of I mean, how is it possible? prevented like, attacks. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's open internet. It's yeah, but is it like is it are... like automatic bots that look for, for example, like WordPress websites, and then they're like, oh, let's attack this website, or it's like targeted. Like it, it could, first, seven thousand five hundred. I mean, that's a lot of numbers. Yeah, I can't imagine an individual trying to do that. It, yeah. uh, with that number, it must be a bot. With your other question, if it's targeted, could be. You would never know. But what can you do about it? You can defend yourself. What can you do? You can set a rule on your system that if there's been, let's say, three uh, failed logins attempt within an hour, mm -hmm. within a minute or so, block that IP address completely or just um, mm -hmm. block that uh, username that is trying to get into the system for like 24 hours and send you alerts. Yeah. So there is a lot of um, steps that can be taken from the defense end. Mm, that's all, and the thing is that they always need to be monitored. There is a lot of fine tuning when it comes to that because technology is changing so rapidly and you really got to keep up to date with those just to stay secure on the internet. Yeah, true. And there are also some other problems. And like we hear uh, every now and then that about like cyber bully. 
like what happened to MySpace and the accusations that we see against Facebook these days. I mean, multiple accusations. So yeah, I would totally agree that convenience, uh, what is the convenience? There is always a trade-off between convenience and security. You want to install, yeah. set up multi-factor authentication or 2FA, the mm. two-factor authentication. It makes it harder for you to log in as you have to use that secondary code after your password. It won't be so convenient as it used to be when there was no use of it, but mm -hmm. it surely makes your account more secure. Mm -hmm. And in case you're wondering, like what I was talking about, what I was just talking about, what I said, cyberbully, uh, you know, like celebrities uh, were a target, their iCloud password. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. And then they would just steal uh, all those photos their, you heard about. Uh, their yeah. special photos, let's call it. <laughs> oh, those leaks, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure, for sure. So that would like end up in cyberbully, and uh, you know, so I mean, you're a famous uh, lady, and then uh, you see your pictures getting leaked, and I mean, that must be a terrible, that oh, yeah, must I be mean, a terrible um, experience. Uh, uh, yeah, with my experience in the industry, that's just the uh, tip of the iceberg. I mean, there is so much more to talk about, about the cons of the internet overall and the cyber, cyber bullying overall. Mm -hmm. it's, there's been many cases of many teenagers being cyber bullied by their classmates just because of their weight or whatever, which has really deadly consequences for them. But yeah, it's really essential. See, the, the problem is the technology, the apps on the internet. Let's talk about on a TikTok. Snapchat, all these apps, yeah. they're growing so rapidly. And the new generations, the Gen Zs, all these new kids these days, they have all of these applications and technology and it just overall the access to internet, it's so easily accessible for them. Yeah. That's in my opinion, without a proper education, they should not be allowed to be on the internet. Well, they're not gonna like it. Well, they, 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 it's like um, it's their sure parents and <laughs> responsibility. They're not liking what they're hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, true. Okay, uh, so just talking about hacking, you know, like there are institutions that teach you how to hack, and it's completely legal. I mean, like when you talk about hacking, uh, automatically your brain goes towards like criminal activities and uh, jail, <laughs> custody, prison, because you hacked this uh, giant tech or whatever, or hacked like your ex's uh, Facebook or Twitter. So these institutions teach you how to hack. You can even take the exam and get a hacking certificate. Uh, do you think as someone who's experienced in cybersecurity, do you think that that's something we should do? Should it be that easy? Well, Sam, another excellent question. 
The course that you are referring to is called the Certified Ethical Hacker by eCouncil. I actually went for that course many years ago. So th uh, that course is all about learning to hack. And when we talk about hacking, see, the thing is computer hacking and a hack in a life is very different. What, what is a hack? A hack is, what is a life hack? Like how to make your coffee easier mm, rather yeah. than to, let's say, grind the beans, do all those fancy stuff with it. How to peel garlic, well, just exactly. shake it, put like, it in a box, just shake it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I've seen like, like, those like videos. Hack. Yeah, a lot of yeah, life exactly. hacks. Some of them don't even work, though. <laughs> <laughs> a basic definition of a hack is to get, a, get an easier way to achieve an outcome. Yep. Now, whether if it's to do something that you daily do with your life, not talking about anything computer or network related, or just a shortcut to get something done easier, pretty much. Now, a computer hacking could refer to you, let's say, talk about that celebrity that got their iCloud account breached mm -hmm. and their nudes was leaked. That's just one example of it. Well, they hacked into their account and got those data out. Now, obviously, if the multi-factor authentication was in place, there were no chance of doing that. But to answer the other question about the institute that teaches hacking, I will start by saying there are three types of computer hackers. A very bad, nasty guy called a black hat hacker. A black hat hacks for his pleasure or to mm -hmm. make money steal some money or whether it's, i shouldn't say make steal money <laughs> break a system or cause some damage you, you know what i mean now in between we have a gray hat hacker a gray hat hacker sometimes do good sometimes do bad he's really in between he, he can't make up his mind what do you want to do i feel like uh, i feel like stealing some money today let's just uh <laughs> steal some money. sometimes damn sometimes not yeah okay so the black hat hacker is really in between sometimes do, do, do it for good sometimes for bad mm. then we have the good guys the white hat hacker what they do is they hack for good and what I, what I mean by that is they are certified as uh, certified ethical hackers. They have been taught how to break into systems mm -hmm. with the system systems owner permissions to find vulnerabilities and to fix those vulnerabilities before the gray or the black hat hacker gets the chance to do so. So basically, you need to know how to hack to fix the vulnerabilities. Exactly. As an example, a close friend of mine who is a penetration tester, and by penetration testing in computing, I refer to, there is a term in cybersecurity that you try to penetrate into the system, to break into, let's say, a bank system to steal some money or get some information. As an example, a bank can hire a pen tester to try to break into their system to find vulnerabilities 
and report those vulnerabilities to the upper management or to their security team so they can fix those vulnerabilities before those vulnerabilities are exploited. Now, this usually needs to happen very regularly as there are always new uh, vulnerabilities are found and they need to be patched. The other thing uh, with those ert uh, certified ethical hacker courses is uh, once you are certified as a certified ethical hacker, mm -hmm. you pretty much need to sign an oath, as far as I know. Right. So it's, it's not that it's not um, without any sort of requirement or well, better say consequences uh, declaration well. okay exactly. consequences. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so to to become a certified ethical hacker you are sort of i would say limiting yourself to be within that field only mm. as the governments know you as an individual with a lot of knowledge that you could hack into systems mm. so you will be I would say, quote-unquote, under watch somehow. All right. And employers... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Imagine your employer, for example, you apply for something else, else and your employer says your certificate, you know, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, my God, if I mess with this guy, he's going to hack all the systems. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. I, I'm not going to hire him. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's, that's one of the downside of that as well. Mm, yeah. So especially uh, this stereotype that uh, exists towards like hackers and hacking. So, yeah, people are scared of hackers. I mean, if I tell my girlfriend that I'm a hacker, the first thing she's going to think about... Oh, sure, she's going to laugh. She's going <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she will laugh. But after laughing, if I keep that serious face and uh, maybe, 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 maybe come up with a fake... Uh, certificate and show it to her and be like okay this is who i am i'm a hacker <laughs> i'm pretty sure she's gonna break up with me that, that reminds like... me of a funny story sam <laughs> i remember back in my university days um me and i and a few other friends we were trying to prank another um, students so what we did we we cloned facebook Okay, and in in cybersecurity in in, in hacking, uh, there's this term that's uh, pretty much called social engineering. Yeah. So what we did, we cloned Facebook, and by that I mean we created an internal fake website on our let's say home network. And when he came over, we asked him to oh log into Facebook. I want to show you something funny. Mm -hmm. And when he went to that website, which just looked like Facebook, uh, when he typed in his credentials, it, 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 it just didn't work. He, he couldn't log in. But the important thing was that when he typed his username and password, when he clicked on login, those information was sent to our servers. So we, knew, we then knew his username and password. Okay. Then later that night, we made a funny status with his account. Uh, just to make it, just to make a joke. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure the guy must have loved it. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, was, it was a it was a funny funny prank. But 
my other point is overall there are many steps to when it comes to computer hacking maybe one of the first one is usually reconnaissance and by reconnaissance, I mean, it's pretty much uh, translates to information gathering that you gather as much information as possible. Then there's um, social engineering, for example, mm-hmm. you ask them just simple questions just to fool them to give you answers for and what those mm. questions could be for for their security questions for their account like what is your model's middle name? What was your p- first pet's name? Mm. Who's your favorite author? If in a regular conversation with a good, good tonality, you just come up with these questions just the, in a random talk, if you're good at it, you definitely can get those information out of someone. What was your yeah, first pet name? Something like so that. that would be a great idea if you put uh, the answers to those questions, something that is not the actual... Uh, your uh, the actual uh what do you call it the data into the actual data for example are you like your pet's name your first pet's name is not daniel Uh, i don't know (laughs) as long as as long as you can remember that yeah that's that's a good idea but a better workaround is to be cautious about what your security questions are so if someone asks you about it then you mm. can be oh, okay something's up something smells fishy mm. why is he asking me that yeah it's imagine just... you're asking some stranger hi what's the name of your first pet sir <laughs> <laughs> all right so what about Hollywood? Like we see some versions of hacking in Hollywood in movies. Like how realistic are they? You know, all the uh, windows pops up on the screen, or we see some crazy black screen with some codes just going, 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 and. The, how realistic are they like is it and uh, there, there are sometimes sometimes like you see in the movies that the guy is asking the other guy for example especially in sci-fi movies the guy is asking the other guy to open one of the gates in a spaceship and he just goes on his tablet and then the gate opens you know so do you think like that's possible or is just for entertainment well, uh, it's in my opinion, usually those scenes in Hollywood movies are super over-exaggerated. But in some movies, uh, the last one I can recall is Mr. Robot, which oh, is a I've great show. Yeah, yeah, I recommend all of our listeners to check it out. I believe it's streaming on Netflix as well, Mr. Robot. I recall there was this one scene that they were trying to get into a company and they sent this uh, hot chick to drop a USB, I believe, near a facility, near the security. Mm-hmm. And just exactly the same with what happened with the Stuxnets in the Iran nuclear facility. Mm-hmm. And the security or whoever picked up that USB stick drive and plugged into the computer, well, they weren't obviously well trained. And they ended up letting that malware into their system. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and besides that, I recall another scene. Um, well, it, it really depends on the movie, but some scenes are more realistic looking. 
-hmm. and sometimes when you see like lots of terminals on the screen typing code fast that's often is the case with actual hacking okay that can be the case depending on who the hacker is and hackers usually aren't just individuals they're usually a group of them which either they're sponsored um, government sponsored state sponsored or mm. just an individuals that just like black hackers or the, uh, the gray hat hackers that's mm. um, they're really doing it. it's really up to an individual but I would say 50-50 sometimes in Hollywood movies those scenes are over exaggerated okay uh, yeah about the hackers uh, it was just I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that uh they found uh, this teen uh, who was uh, just 16 years old and he hacked a couple of giant tech companies uh, including Microsoft and I don't remember the rest of it. I believe so. that was NVIDIA as well. I forgot yeah. the, the group that he was with him, but I heard about that. That's yeah, and they said, they said that uh, he types so fast that the authorities thought that it was a program or bot. It was a lucky person. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, he's a fast typer, like crazy fast typer. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, what could I do? What could uh, our audience do to protect themselves? against uh, hackers and all these threats like whatever we talked about what can we do as an individual i cannot stress enough use authenticator apps use multi-factor authentication two-factor authentication to secure accounts the multi-factor authentication is just an additional security steps that needs to be added to your account so if, if and which this happens often a lot that an account that you create let's say with the local pizza company that you ordered food from or with any company mm -hmm. you create your account type in your email and then you have to create a password studies shows that about 60 70 percent of individuals they use one password across many different accounts so if any of those companies that you create accounts with if those companies are breached those your username your email address and passwords are pretty much can be accessible to anyone and there are many bots that can run just scripts to try to log into different services, different accounts using that username and password that is linked with your name. It happens a lot. If you have multi-factor authentication on your account, even if those login attempts are successful, they will still need that six digit code or OTP password that is sent to your email to be able to gain access to your account. That is the mm -hmm. very main thing that I cannot stress enough. So number one, two FA or two uh, multi-factor authentication. Yeah. The second, mm -hmm. use complex passwords. Use password mm -hmm. managers. I personally use LastPass or OnePass. 
and um, well, well, we are promoting a lot of companies in this podcast and we're not getting paid just as a disclaimer we're <laughs> not seriously we're not just our personal reviews on them yeah yeah use 2fa slash mfa use destroying passwords use password managers change your passwords often and be very cautious with your security questions it should laser raise an alert if someone is asking you about such questions that you may have used as your security questions mm. and don't click on any link that is sent to your phone or email as sms it could be just the phishing attacks that take you to let's say a gmail login page or any login page that looks like the original one but it's not the original one mm-hmm. that you may just type in your actual credentials but yet again, if you do that by mistake, if you have 2FA or MFA enabled on your account, if your credentials are leaked, no one will still be able to get into your account. Yeah, true, because you have to put that OTP in or uh, just click on a yes or just approve something the signing on your phone. When it comes to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that additional layer of security is really important, Sam. All right, cool. I'm going to keep that in mind. All right. Cool. Thank you, Robert. Again, I have Robert Judith with me and uh, he's a cyber security expert and cloud engineer. Thank you, Robert. Really appreciated your time. Uh, very good stuff we talked about. And yeah, so that's it. Uh, Thank you, you, Sam. It was my pleasure hope to be on your show back again sometime soon thank you thank you so subscribe to us for just to be alert for next our next uh episode thank you bye-bye